helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome to today's program. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and thanks for being a part of today's program. You know, if you're looking for advice on topics like purchasing a home or investing or or buying the right insurance and the correct amount of uh, you know, the correct amount of insurance, or maybe you're just looking for tips on how to jumpstart your savings plan. Well, that's what Talk Money is all about. This is the program for you. We get questions on how to put your money in order for retirement, how to establish a disciplined approach for saving for the college education funds for the kiddos. Man, I tell you, that can be, that can be an awesome responsibility, and we help you with instruction and with your questions, and again, we thank you for listening. I think we have to try to have some fun doing it, and we try to make it interesting and always talk with you just about what you ask us to talk about. So we're going to start with one of those questions that seems to be kind of running around with everybody. Has business changed for home and auto insurance carriers during the pandemic? And have I, the homeowner, been affected? Well, my guest today is Dane Williams, Insurance Division at Shoemaker Financial. And Dane, you're going to be talking about the kind of the answer to that question. Has insurance carriers been affected and what's the effect? But welcome to the program, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, let me ask you, let me just start with this question, because a lot of people, I mean, it's it's reality with the pandemic. COVID-19 has changed their way of thinking. Home insurance is, is a real issue now and the, the way the insurance carriers are, are going about it. So let me just start. Has it changed? The pandemic, has it changed what they're thinking? Yeah. So you've seen probably some of the things more on the auto insurance side that a lot of the carriers are offering some sort of refund or discount of your monthly premiums. Generally, it's been around 15% of what you would pay on a monthly basis that's been going back to the their customers. So that's been an encouraging thing. They say that there are fewer cars on the road, so we're paying fewer claims, and we want to be, get, be able to give some of that money back. So that's been an encouraging thing. Um, the insurance carriers have also, just like several other businesses, they've moved a lot of their staff to work from home. So that's been something that the client really hasn't felt that maybe the agents would feel that just as there's some different procedures that we're going through with not everybody being in the central call center. And then probably one of the other changes that's been impacted is with home inspections. Um, anytime you are insured with a company, they reserve the right to do an inspection of your property to make sure it is uh, insured correctly. And uh, generally that's just a drive by, maybe some internet research, nothing too terribly detailed, but if you're uh, one of the few that gets selected for something more detailed, uh, then they do an interior inspection, and they've had to adjust the way they handle that business. So interior inspection, you know, I don't think I've ever had an interior inspection of my home. Now, again, drive by, maybe, I don't know what they would look for in the internet. Uh, so I guess I'm lucky. Now, I'm not lucky because I'm getting a tax audit going on right now, <laughs> so that's a I mean, I got selected through that randomly. Sure, you said sure. randomly. That's been a real problem. I need to talk about that sometime on the radio show about tax. Audits. Longer show, you're going to need that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You got that right. Longer show. So if you're talking about home inspections to for the insurance care, that can be a renewal inspection. Just you're going to renew your coverage or it's a new home. Let me ask you this. How's home sales going in Memphis and Shelby County right now? So we've seen uh, some changes. The biggest thing is there's been a shortage of inventory. Uh, when we look April 2020 over 2019, there's about 15% uh, fewer home sales by unit, uh, but our average price is up almost 20% year over year uh, from April 19 to April 20. 
Um, our year-to-date numbers were only down a percent, but it's just it slowed down so much here recently with the lack of inventory. Just lack of inventory and lack of people getting out to go look for a home, I guess. Correct. Well, let me go back to that home inspection, because if you just tuned in, my guest is Dane Williams, Insurance Division. He's talking about multiple insurance carriers. Dane, you talked about this homeowner's inspections. What are they looking for in specifics? If I'm the homeowner and I know they've called and said, you've been selected, we're coming out. Yeah. What are they looking for? So I would say the biggest thing is they want to make sure that they are insuring you correctly, um, that all of the risks that are there, that you don't have an undisclosed aggressive dog breed, that you've got a bunch of pit bulls in the backyard you didn't tell them about, okay. trampolines, swimming pools, those type of things, undisclosed risk. And then from there, what they want to do is make sure that uh, the home is as you described it, that you're not uh, saying that you've got a million-dollar home and, oh, it burned down and you really only had a $200,000 home. And the other side as well, because they don't want you to have a total loss and then not be able to rebuild your home for what they had it insured for. Do do home insurance carriers, I, I know this is kind of, I know, maybe a stupid question, and I'm capable of asking those. But the reality is, is the fact that, I mean, people would, do do we have that insurance scam going on? where people are trying to get more out of their insurance carriers than they really should be? I mean, is that going, is that's what creates the problem? Well, so there is some of that that's always going to go on in probably any industry, right? Well, I was just say like, it's, yeah, there's just the crook in every industry. Exactly. Uh, but I think there are a lot of uh, stop gaps in place and a lot of things to where the insurance carriers have learned how to try to protect themselves from some of that, some of that big loss because a home insurance claim, I mean, that's hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars if, uh, if it's not protected correctly. All right, so we talked about claims. We've talked about the drive-by inspection or maybe a little bit more if you're selected to do that. You know, the fact that we've got a low inventory here in the city for his homes are concerned. But I know this is a concern. We got this in the office the other day, and I, and I thought it was a valid question. And I, and I really I went and asked you about it, and I thought, you know, I, I, this, is, this is important. I can see how anybody might be upset, as you know, and you know where I'm headed most people assume that when they insure their home, they're going to insure it for what they paid for it. Sure. You know, I mean, I paid $100,000 for it. Let's insure it. But insurance companies, um, they don't do it that way, do they? No, because market value is what you're describing there, what something would be bought or sold for. An insurance company is not in the business of buying or selling homes, though. They're in the business of putting your home back to the way it was before some sort of disaster. So you've got all of those factors like the school system you're zoned for, what the dirt is worth that your home is built on, and all of these things that go into your market value that don't impact the cost of your shingles, that don't impact the cost of your granite. Whether we put that granite in the nicest neighborhood in Memphis or the worst neighborhood in Memphis, it still costs the same thing at the manufacturer. Put granite back in there. Exactly. But doesn't that create a problem? I mean, you know, here I am. I'm thinking I paid $100,000 for it. You're telling me that I'm going to have to insure it for one hundred and fifty. I, you know, I know this is true. I know everybody listening is thinking about it. Well, well, the insurance agent's just trying to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. how do you how do you walk somebody through that to help them understand that that's really not the case? Well, the biggest thing is making sure that our, our value systems align and saying, if you have a total loss, are you okay going back with a lesser home? And most people can generally get on board with that because you, you work your life to be able to provide a certain style of life for your family, to live in a certain style home. And you don't want to think that after you have this incredibly traumatic thing, whether it's a fire or tornado or whatever it is that causes a loss, that you're going to have to take a step back and have a thousand fewer square feet than you had before. 
That's tough. Yeah. I, I, I think that would be I think that would be a problem that for anybody, if they thought they were rebuilding the home, I guess let me make sure I'm clear with this. If a two by four cost me a dollar, help me out now, yeah. just think me through with it. If it cost me a dollar to rebuild it, but I only sure insured it for seventy cents. Am I only going to get the 70 cents? That's all I'm going to get. So it's going to be whatever the terms of the uh, the contract are. There are certain provisions in most home insurance contracts that, uh, that cover for inflationary things. Uh, if a tornado comes through and knocks down every house in Memphis, then labor and material are going to be more expensive just because of because supply. Because everybody else is out there. Exactly. So now, is the insurance company going to cover that because it's more expensive? More times than not, most p- contracts will have some sort of additional replacement cost, which is 25 or 50% of whatever you insure the home for on top of that to get you back to a, a home of like kind and quality is the now, term now, that they wait use. Wait a minute. Now, I want to just challenge you here because, sure. I mean, that sounds like the insurance company's on my side to really help me. Why is it then so many people line up? If I ask, if I ask the average listener right now, is your insurance company for your homeowners, are they on your side? I'm not sure that I would get the answer that, oh, yeah, they think they're just doing the best they can for me. Is that, you see what I'm coming from? I mean, I'm thinking most people are going to say, no, I'm paying too much. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we hear that quite a lot. Uh, The biggest thing that I think when you you think about your insurance company um, is you realize that it's a heavily regulated industry. Um, we can't do anything without 14 government officials having to sign off on Obviously, everything. Yeah, that's probably uh, because you haven't been doing No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> You're right. It is heavily regulated. So, and, and that is to combat probably a lot of the things that may have happened in the past. But at this point, whenever we have decisions that are made by insurance company, there are so many steps and things that have to be checked off that uh, more times than not, they are advocating for their clients. Uh, they want to make sure that if there is legitimate damage, that it gets paid for and they get put back to whole. Uh, they've done enough math to know that they're going to be profitable because of that. They, they know how it works. Well, I'm fortunate, fortunate, I guess, to have two major claims in my life, both uh, with my insurance company. One for a building that burned to the ground in 2010. Uh, I mean, literally, it made news, made national news. I mean, it's a big deal because it, you know, it was a big fire in Germantown, Tennessee. Um, I have to say that I was very privileged to work with a very good claim person. The insurance carrier did a great job. They helped me put it back together. They guided us through that. It was an enormous amount of work. Uh, Our accounting department did a phenomenal job. Ms. Margie McClung did a great job. But it was not the experience that I want to go back over and do it again. You know, as soon as it was over, it was like, okay, that's good. But at the same time, it wasn't terrible. Now, the other claim, and maybe not as big, but I had to put a new roof on. We had Mm -hmm. a, you know, a hailstorm and, you know, wind and some damage. Uh, and literally, I thought it was a, a no-brainer. It just, you know, we had to, you know, and, and they were so gracious and so helpful. And not only did the insurance company help me make sure I was getting a good contractor, which had been recommended, but that he was doing it to their specifications and my specifications. So I found it to be a very good working relationship. Yeah, that's always preferred, right? When you have a, a good feel for what the damage is and what needs to be replaced, how you'd like to have it replaced. Um, sometimes it's not that way. We always encourage our clients to reach out to us and, and talk through uh, what's what's going on in the claim. Does this make sense to file the claim? What's the best way uh, for me to uh, relay the claim information I have to the insurance carrier? Uh, so reaching out to your agent who can be an advocate for you and kind of point you in the right direction is always a good first step. All right. Let me let me ask you this then. I mean, I, I had some other questions. We just don't have time to do it. We'll have you back on. I really like what we're talking about. I think our listeners like it. 
But you said, knowing the insurance agent and working through that, give me two, three, four bullet points that you would say should be mandatory in working with any agent, working with any insurance company. I think the first thing, whenever you're shopping insurance, you want to make sure you get a good feel for what the market says you should be paying. So seeing what multiple different companies would offer, whether you're going through an insurance broker like us or going through multiple captive insurance agencies, you want to figure out, am I paying a fair price? And then from there, you want to make sure that you've got a relationship that is built on trust uh, with that agent because their job is to step in when you may be at your lowest point, when our business is built on disaster. Uh, the last thing you want to do as someone that's just experienced this is to uh, have to download an app and record a video and, and hope that the computer does the right thing for you. You want to talk to a person. You want to talk to an individual that's able to sympathize and empathize with you as you're going through this and able to give you wise counsel to be able to make the right decisions to put life back together. Someone that's just going to tell you it's going to be okay and that we've insured you well. Um, so developing that relationship with your agent and making sure that you're insured properly are probably some of the biggest things that I would encourage someone to do. You mentioned looking around for carriers, not just one carrier. So shopping, I know we talked about shopping for multiple carriers because they do things differently. Yeah, they do. Uh, each of the carriers are going to value certain things uh, to where it's going to be a more expensive uh, product to buy from them, maybe because they've got too many homes in your area insured already, so they don't want to have overexposure. So they're going to raise your prices a little bit or people in your age demographic or any number of things. Uh, so they're not always going to be competitive. Uh, when you're a broker like us, we represent a lot of those companies. So when we get quotes, it's not just one company, it's several. And we're able to get a good feel for who's going to have the best product at the best price. So are you shopping just price? But you said best product and best price. Yeah. They coincide, they work together. Yeah, uh, price is not our, uh, our leading thing that we're looking at here. Um, the biggest thing we always want to consider is uh, do we have the right coverage? Because the most expensive insurance to have is usually a cheap policy, something that's not covering what it needs to and, and not uh, providing the experience you want either. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing that we want to look at is do we have the right coverage for you and for your family? And then from there, we transition to price. But the right protection is first and foremost. That's not always easy, is it? You've got to have value systems aligned for our clients. Uh, whenever we have some people that will come in and they are only price driven, uh, we may decide that this isn't the best fit for us okay. to work with okay. because we just have two different viewpoints with all of this and we want to make sure that we're on the same page. Okay. So being honest with the agent is critical too. I mean, you have to, the, the, the client, the, the customer has to really say, you talked about a poo while ago, make sure that they disclose what you're trying to ensure. Don't let somebody come back and say, you didn't tell us about this when we wrote the policy. Exactly right. If we don't know about it on the front end, then we can't position you best. There are some carriers that have a major issue with relatively minor things, and you have others that uh, they don't care at all. Um, we have one of our carriers that we work with, they, uh, they don't like trampolines. Others, they don't have a problem with it at all. So if we know that on the front end that the trampoline exists, we can get you with a carrier that's going to be fine with it and not have a gotcha moment later on down the road. Well, that is so, so critical. If you just tuned in, my guest has been Dane Williams. We've been talking about what the pandemic has done to homeowners, and we were going to get into automobile insurance. Dane, you come back, won't you? Won't you? Come I'd back. love to, yes. Oh, Invite me back. <laughs> All right. I want to get you back, and we'll want to talk some more about just some of these questions. You know, one of the biggest questions that I really wanted to get into, and we just didn't have time, is when I rebuild a house, or, you know, I had a guy that asked me, he said, hey, I'm building a house. 
I know it's only costing me a hundred thousand using my number again. You're trying to insure it for two hundred thousand, and you know we'll get back to talk about that another because he really argued. He said, "What's the?" But we know that he could build it cheaper than really what he might have to have get somebody else to build it. We'll talk about that later. Just hang on to it. Hanging right? on tight. Hang on tight. I think it's a great question. I really thought it was good. If you just tuned in, though, it's Dane Williams Insurance. We're talking about homeowners insurance and how the pandemic has affected that particular part of the insurance industry. If you don't want to talk to Dane, give him a call at 757-5757. Thank you, Dane. Appreciate it, man. Have a great day, man, and have a great, wonderful week. We'll talk with you again. Well, my guest now is Larry Lloyd. He is the president and CEO of Leadership Memphis Foundation, equipping and empowering grassroots urban leaders to transform lives and communities in Memphis, Tennessee. Larry, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. Good to be with you. Well, I just want to talk to you because, I, I mean, we have talked about a tr- just an unbelievable change in our city. And you and I talked in, in preparation for today just simply how much it's really done to the city, how much it's changed, and how many things that are going on. And I really want to give in, given some of the ideas behind the economic realities to the coronavirus what have you seen as far as the effect that has happened with nonprofits in the terms of donations, in the terms of operations, in the terms of ministry? What's going on since March all the way up to the end of May now? What's going on? So uh, to start with, uh, as best we know, we've done a survey. Momentum Partners, which is another nonprofit, surveyed over 300 uh, local nonprofits uh, at the end of March, 1st of April. And we have seen uh, about $32 million drop in donations across those 300-some-odd nonprofits. And the uh, estimate is that that will continue until the economy sort of reboots. The donations began to drop precipitously right after the stay-at-home orders because of people's, uh, evidently, you know, people lost their jobs or afraid they're going to lose their jobs. The stock market, of course, crashed. Um, so folks that were holding stocks that, you know, major donors that give appreciated assets were, uh, you know, obviously they weren't appreciating anymore. They were decreasing in value. And so, um, donations just dropped through the roof at Memphis Leadership Foundation in the month of April, we saw a 30% reduction, uh, in overall giving, uh, May is looking a little better. Uh, so we have some hope that donations will pick back up. Uh, so that's the, the so the economic reality is uh, uh, layoffs, furlough, uh, cutting expenses, uh, as well as applying for the payroll protection or paycheck protection plan, which uh, we were able to get uh, for 14 different nonprofits uh, in our uh, in our network, um, and so that helps through, through about the middle of June, end of June, and then <clears throat> we'll have to really look at cutting expenses even more and maybe. Uh, reducing staff, but non-essential staff, and that sort of thing. So the economic reality is uh, across the nation. We've seen uh, about a overall, about a 30 to 35% drop in donations. Uh, in Memphis, uh, best we can tell you, the $32 million in March and April is just, an, uh, you know, that's a dollar figure. If you look at percentages, it looks like overall nonprofit donations are down uh, in the 12 to 15% uh, area. Mm, wow, that's terrible. Is that a, I'm, I'm, I started to ask the question. That's not a good question either. 
is that affecting the ministries? Obviously, that's affecting what you do. I know I've talked to several ministries here in the city, and, you know, they're changing. But it seems like there's a resiliency to it. They're letting God use the, you know, direct them what they're doing and, and moving them in the right direction and doing a lot of praying and saying, that you know, they understand God will provide, but they are having to change the way they think about their ministry. Have you seen that be an effect for a lot of them? Oh, absolutely. What, what we're seeing, we, we've not laid anybody off. Uh, our, we have about 80 employees in our different ministries at Memphis Leadership Foundation, but they have changed the way they do ministry. Obviously, mentoring young people, is uh, you can't do that in person anymore, uh, but we're feeding. Uh, we we uh, For the Kingdom Camp, which is uh, something we started in 2000, yesterday uh, provided food for 869 cars which would be 1,600 people, for two weeks of groceries. Um, Refugee Empowerment Program, Las Americas, Restore Corps, we're all feeding families because all the children who were in school with the free lunch program, of course, are not eating, and we're having a real food district. We have a food problem. So a lot of the ministries, particularly those that work in the inner-city neighborhoods, have switched their mode of operation to relief versus empowerment. And so I think we talked about this in several radio shows that, you know, when you look at ministry in the inner city, there's 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 times for relief, you know, hurricanes, pandemics, where relief is necessary. But relief is, is only uh, temporary because it must lead to development. If it doesn't lead to development, it can cause dependency. And so we're in the relief stage now, particularly with food, with mortgages and rent, uh, evictions. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, it's a tsunami uh, in terms of what's happening, particularly among the poor. So we switched our operations to relief, uh, particularly with food. Uh, our people are on the front line serving food, mentoring kids uh, through Zoom or through GoToMeeting or WhatsApp, all these various platforms. But as you know, in the inner city, a lot of times. Uh, uh, young people don't have access to iPads. They don't, have, they don't have good phone connections. So our people have been very, very creative. I'm so proud of so many non the other thing nonprofits. The other thing in ministries, we've seen a lot of collaboration and partnerships like we've never seen before. People are realizing we're in this together. And that's for real. And so we end up partnering with the Memphis Food Bank, with MIFA, with the city government, uh, with school systems, Shelby County Schools, with the health department. I mean, we're seeing collaboration like we've never seen before, which I think is a really good thing. Well, Larry, that is that is phenomenal to see that come together. We've got to take a short little break, and I want to come back. And I want to ask you, literally, I know that the virus seems to have hit disproportionately, I believe, the people of color here in our city. I want to talk about that. So uh, stay with us if you just tuned in. My guest is Larry Lloyd. We're talking with him about what's been going on Ministry-wise, Larry is the president, CEO, and founder of Leadership Memphis Foundation. Over three, over 30 nonprofits that they administratively help and support. They're working around the clock with the pandemic, having an impact, seeing ministries come together under one umbrella. That is, what has God called them to do to serve the people of our city? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. 
Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer. Member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Secure and Financial Services are affiliated with Memphis Leadership Foundation or Larry Lloyd. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. We are especially privileged today to have Dr. Larry Lloyd. He is the president of Memphis Leadership Foundation. And I think what I really want you to hear about this particular ministry is it's a ministry that was founded, I guess, Larry, 40 years ago, something like that. 1987. 1986, okay, 30-some-odd years ago. There you go. And the reality is you have had such an impact. They they actually provide administrative support for more than 30 nonprofit ministries that are just doing phenomenal work during the pandemic. And I want to make sure you understand what their mission says. Equipping and empowering grassroots urban leaders to transform lives and communities in Memphis. And let me read you kind of a footnote to that. We seek to proclaim the whole gospel to the whole city through the empowerment of leaders and the development of ministries and programs that focus, listen, listen to what I'm saying, on the needs of the under-resourced people of our community. This is this is this is where the grassroots this is where the rubber meets the road, folks. This is what this is how to change your city. If you want to talk with Dr. Lloyd, this is his telephone number. You can reach him at the ministry, 901-729-2931. 901-729-2931. Now, Larry, let me let me lead in with this question. We talked about it before we took the break, and I really want to kind of get your insight on it. We've read that this virus has disproportionately hit people of color. What is this? Is this the case? What do you see? Well, uh, if you look at the numbers in Memphis, it certainly is true that the Latino community, the African-American community, refugee community are being hit pretty hard. The reasons for that are social distancing is much more difficult when, uh, in more crowded conditions. Uh, one of our leadership foundations, we have leadership foundations all over the world, some 45, and uh, we're in the slums of, of Kibra. In uh, Nairobi, uh, one million people in shanty towns uh, where the social distancing is impossible and the virus is spreading uh, like wildfire. Same thing is happening uh, in tight conditions. So social distancing in very crowded neighborhoods uh, where apartments are more the norm than in the, uh, individual houses uh, is, is going to affect. The other, the other reality is that a lot of uh, children in, in impoverished neighborhoods are being raised by grandparents who are especially uh, susceptible to the disease with uh, hypertension or diabetes. And so the children many times are asymptomatic but bring that home to their elderly grandparents. The other reality is the uh, ongoing disparity in, in health care among uh, the poor. Uh, church Health Center or, or Church Health as well as Christ Community Health Services are really the vanguard uh, for care among those that are uninsured, those on ten care, those that have little, uh, uh, you know, uh, access to health care. So when you have little access to preventive or primary health care, uh, you know, hypertension goes unchecked, uh, diabetes, uh, the cost of insulin becomes a, a prohibitive factor, and so your your health is already compromised. We already know that the virus uh, uh, is extremely uh, uh, fatal. 
for those with those underlying health conditions. Asthma in our country among uh, people of color is much more pronounced than among the other population, again, because of the environmental factors, mold um, uh, and, uh, in the houses and so forth. So asthmatics um, are more susceptible to the disease as well. And so we're seeing, uh, and we, of course, this was predicted from the very beginning uh, of the pandemic, that uh, people, uh, that individuals, of uh, low-income individuals, people of color, would be more um, uh, more susceptible to the disease and, and fatalities would be higher. And that's certainly the case here in Memphis. You know, now, Larry, I, I think I want the listeners, I want everybody to listen just a second. Let me tell you, this, you know, you're, you're listening, you're driving a car, maybe you're at home or something, and you're just thinking, how can I help? Here's the telephone number, 901-729-2931. This is, this is the urban part of our city, the part that we can reach into our pocket and just write a check, whether it's $50 or $500. doesn't make any difference. This is a time when you need to be sensitive to how can you have an impact. Maybe you don't feel comfortable being right in the middle of this. Maybe you don't feel comfortable that you can participate. But this is where you can write a check. And I would just, you know, this is about talking about money. We're stewards of what God has blessed us with. This is not something that we all go spend on ourselves. God's blessed you with a certain amount of money. God's given you the ability to be a steward. You manage it. It's not yours. And so maybe today you need to think about how can I reach into the pocket and write a check? 901-729-2931. That's Leadership Memphis and I, and I just want you to think about that. That's where my heart is. That's important for you to know that, that we are given that opportunity. And I want you to take advantage of what we've been given during this particular COVID-19 crisis in our city. Larry, I've got a question for you. It's on everybody's mind. We're, we're seeing we're rebooting, okay? That's a good word. And we're seeing cities becoming back to life economically. But unemployment, I mean, you, you hear of people electing not to go back to work because today, under the unemployment law, which is kind of designed supposedly to do one thing, it's doing something else that can make more money continuing to stay unemployed. Thoughts about that? Well, that's, that's uh, true. It's $600 a week, $2,400 uh, a month, which, uh, you know, is uh, a, a living wage. Uh, just barely a living wage for a family of maybe three. Um, now, but what we're seeing in Tennessee, of course, is that uh, <laughs> the unemployment office are overwhelmed. So folks have, uh, while they've applied for unemployment, they're not getting any checks right now. Uh, so it's not, it's, it's a little bit of, of a misnomer state by state. Um, the, um, the reality is, uh, though, that people do want to work. Uh, you know, it, we know that work is uh, about dignity. Uh, we were created to to, uh, to work in the vineyard, as as we see in in the, in the opening book of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, Adam and Eve tended the garden. They were given work. Work is something that God has ordained, and it brings dignity when we earn our own living. So this is a real delicate balancing act um, when you think about what what we're in right now. Um, and how the government has responded with the uh, with unemployment compensation. Uh, so as we reopen, there will be there will be folks that will won't go back to McDonald's because uh, they're not you know making barely any money when they can make more in unemployment. So 
Uh, we're still a little bit hazy of how this is going to play out. And, of course, unemployment and compensation only lasts so long. Uh, and so there will be people looking, and employers are going to, uh, they need employees. And so there's going to be, hopefully, uh, a resurgence in the job market uh, so that we can get this a little bit more under control. I know people talked about a payroll tax holiday. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and, you know, right now we have a, a, a you know, fiery, furious debate in, in Congress about what to do next. Um, and there's no crystal ball. Uh, we don't know when a surge is going to happen, what's going to happen in the fall. Uh, this is something we've, we, uh, you know, you're in, in yours and my lifetime, we've never seen. That's true. And uh, yeah, we don't know what's, uh, what, uh, I, the, the hope I have is that God is still in control and uh, he is sovereign and we're going to continue to, to, uh, respond to his, uh, call on our lives and continue to work where we do. Uh, and we're going to be careful. We're going to wear a mask. We're going to socially distance, but we're not going to stop our ministry. You know, and that's what I know, and I guess that's what I appreciate from you. You're not going to stop your ministry. Larry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate you so much. I just thank you for what you're doing. You're constantly in our prayers, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Larry Lloyd, Dr. Larry Lloyd, founder and president of Memphis Leadership Foundation, equipping and empowering grassroots urban leaders to transform lives and communities in Memphis. If you'd like to talk to Dr. Lloyd or anybody at the ministry, it's 729-2931, 901-729-2931. Reach, maybe you can be a part of that ministry. Well, let me kind of shift gears. I've got a guest that's frequent, a frequent guest of ours, and I need to say that uh, because he always brings us extremely important information and I, and I want to start with the question to you. Of course, let me introduce him, and most of you are going to recognize the voice immediately. Shannon Dyson, he is the uh, vice president of our insurance division and is constantly doing the, the study and the research of what's going on with COVID-19, especially in the employment, the employer side, the health insurance, personal health insurance. Let me ask you this, and, you know, Shannon, right off the program, welcome to the program, but right off the bat, I want to say, Thank you for what you do, and thank you for how much information you put together for us. Um, tell us what's going on as far as business owners and how they're adapting and changing the way they do business. Well, thanks, Jim. It's, it's good to be back this morning. Um, I think the, the the word change is being used a lot now. I think we had a, a – what was the word we were using a few weeks ago? Unprecedented. I think I, That was my big word. Man. I think I mean. change is, is now uh, business owners changing the way that they do business. They're being forced to change the way that they do business. Uh, we talked a little bit about the unemployment rates and how that's affecting businesses and how that – Business owners are trying to get employees back into work, and maybe they're not coming back because they're getting paid a higher unemployment amount. So we're not used to those types of things happening, and so business owners are kind of going on the fly and saying, what can we do? You've got all these PPP loans and these different things that are they now have the money, most do, and now it's, well, how do we get this amount forgiven? You know, we don't want to owe this money back. We were promised that there'd be a way that we could get this forgiven. So how do we do that? So that brings in uh, accounting firms coming in to say, hey, this is what you have to do. And so it all works together. And I think you really get to see how businesses, especially in our community, 
uh, come together to help each other and, and figure this thing out. What about the whole idea when you talk about this health care plan? What's going on there? Because if I have been out of work and you've said that they were able to continue their health care plan, but I go now to another another job, tell me a little bit about what should be what's happening as far as that type of coverage. And, and do I end up going maybe if I would just help help the employee know what to be do be, to be doing during this particular time? From the employee's perspective, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, in the market, especially if you're, let's just say your employer uh, had to lay some folks off. You were one of those people and you had health insurance through that employer. Uh, the good thing is, is there's new things in the market. I say new, it's of course, we're in 2020, which is hard to believe, yeah. but back in 2010, you remember 2010? Yeah. <laughs> the, the Affordable Care Act was passed that allowed people that had pre-existing conditions, you know, if you lost your job, you can go find other coverage. So that is available to employees today. So just because you were out of work, uh, your, your work had to furlough or lay you off, you do have options. You have COBRA options through your employer that you can continue uh, that health coverage uh, through them. And I think the real thing about all of this is in the future, how are employees and employers going to work together? Because healthcare, the the thought of what does it cost? What does it cost to go to the doctor? What is the What are the COVID-19 testing? What are those charges cost? What are hospitals charging? I think healthcare costs in general uh, as we move through this, are going to be on the forefront of people's minds. You know, I want to talk about that. I want to, before I go, though, we, we'll take a short little break. We want to do this, but I, I really think it's important. Give me your take on the unemployment and the getting back to work. The employer, you talk to a lot of employers. In fact, you're leaving here and you got a meeting later on, and uh, a lot of things going on as far as things that, you, you know, you're working a lot today, just counseling employees and, excuse me, employers, helping them to understand what to do with their employees. And I think that's the concern. There's so many moving parts today. But what about the fact that unemployment, which I do agree that we needed to do some things. Larry was talking about that a few minutes ago. But what's your take and who are you, when you're talking to people, what are they telling you? I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah, I mentioned it just a little bit, uh, but you talk about employers that have, their business has suffered. So people are not out spending money at their businesses. So their businesses have suffered. I think restaurants have been really hit hard. I can use them as an example. And so most restaurants were shut down for a couple of months. Uh, they had to lay off those workers because waiters, servers work on tips. Uh, that's how they make their money. Um, and so they were trying to be um, you know, as, as good to their employees as they can by saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and lay you off now so you can go ahead and get your unemployment. Um, and look, there's nothing wrong with the federal government stepping in and saying we're going to increase unemployment um, because we know we're going to have a lot of people out of, it's out be of a jobs. Crisis, yeah. But every good thing has another side to it when it's such a big program. And so what we're seeing as we're coming out of the crisis uh, some of these restaurants, uh, as an example, that, that laid off employees or servers, uh, and they're trying to get them to come back because it's time to reopen. Um, some of those servers are getting an extra $600 per week or, plus their normal unemployment. Um, and so they're, they're faced with the prospect of, do I go back to work? Uh, and maybe I'll earn that much when I go back, or do I take full advantage of the unemployment that's going to last through July and at that point go back to work? And so now an employer is saying, well, if you're not going to come back now, I can't promise you that that job's going to be there when you are ready to come back. So a lot of 
again, nothing wrong on either side of this, just saying when you put a big program like that in place, there are going to be some circumstances that happen that you really didn't intend to happen. And that's going to be the problem. And that's going to slow the economy down. Yes, you're exactly right. What was intent to, intended, you know, the intention was to do something good for someone, also has that negative side. Maybe it's slowing the economy. The reboot may take a little longer as a result of this because there's going to be a need. There's going to be a Absolutely. need for a huge Absolutely. need for, for jobs. No good deed goes unpunished, well, I think is what, the, like <laughs> what, yeah, what right. the saying is. But, yeah, there's going to be a huge need for people to come back to work um, in jobs that maybe are either lower-paying lower jobs or that work on tips and things like that. So it's, it's tough, especially as a person who has been laid off and you haven't had that income, and so you're finally getting – and it's not like the un- you, you uh, were laid off and your unemployment check started the next day, right? No, that's that's, that's another thing. It yeah. took a while. And so okay. you were without for such a long period of time. And so making those decisions becomes difficult. That's going to be tough. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what this, the employers are going to have to do and what you see in the future about after the pandemic. I mean, this is maybe a, a six months from now, what they're going to have to be looking at. I think it's important for all of us to listen because, folks, we're in this. We're in this whether we like it or not. We've got to get out of it. We're going to move our way. Businesses are going to fail. Businesses are going to succeed. We're going to talk more about how it's going to affect us in the Memphis and the Mid-South area. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Rebecca Brazier coming up. She's going to talk about our great city, the city of Memphis. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Despite its uniqueness, Memphis shares a great deal in common with its southern neighbor, Jackson, Mississippi. Founded within two years of each other, both cities were inseparable from the legacy of Andrew Jackson, who co-founded Memphis and in whose honor the new capital of Mississippi was named. Although, like Memphis, Jackson was founded on a river bluff, it is the only state capital to be built over an extinct volcano. Both cities were captured by Union forces in the early days of the Civil War, but Jackson bore the brunt of the fighting and was burned to the ground three times. The very few buildings that were left standing in the aftermath were for the most part either Union Army positions including the governor's mansion, are structures used as civilian hospitals, such as Jackson City Hall. Today, Jackson is a regional medical hub known for many medical innovations, including the first successful lung transplant. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, whether you like it or not, the pandemic is uh, had a peak, they say. Of course, the World Health Organization it says we're premature and we're this, and, you know, we can get into all kind of debates here. Bottom line is employers, business owners, are having to make decisions, and it's a tough thing to be doing, whether it's your church, your business owner, whatever it is, all these changes, and we're all going through that. And you know, you can throw stones all day long. I mean, you can say, well, that's not a good decision. That's not a good decision. But I have Shannon Dyson here, and he's going to talk about some of the things that business owners are having to do when it comes to health insurance. And I want you to listen 
because as an employee, it may affect you, and you need to know, is it good for me or is it going to be bad for me? I want to get the first thoughts from Shannon. And if you're an employer, what can you be doing to ensure that you're doing the best for your employees? So Shannon, let's literally help me understand what are they going to be doing as far as adaptation and change to their employees' employer insurance plan? So I think employers uh, for, for the longest time have just kind of been in a status quo. We're not going to rock the boat. The plan seems to be working okay. The increase was fairly small. We'll just take this increase and just keep moving uh, as we go. And I think now we're going to see employers looking at all their expense lines more closely. They're going to need to do that. And, and part of that is maybe changing how your benefit plan works, changing those benefits um, and as an employer, you're going to be doing that. And you want to make sure that you're being transparent to your employees when you do it. And part of uh, the employees, I think it can be a contentious thing sometimes, your group health plan. Uh, a lot of employees, if you, if you poll 10 employees at a company and you say, do you like your group health plan? Five may say yes, five may say no. Then, and the employer may say no. <laughs> the employer may say no. And the employer's like, well, I'm spending the money and nobody likes the plan. Right, exactly. Um, and so I think you're going to see uh, employers making changes to the way that their benefit plans work. And we just need to make sure as, as employers that we're being completely transparent with employees and saying, hey, guys, this is the, these are the changes that we are making you may not like or understand what they are, but we're going to go through each of these changes with you. We're going to answer any questions that you have about them and help you understand why these changes were necessary. All right. I, I remember you mentioning something of one of the changes that they're making, a possible making, is an unlimited credit card. That, that I mean, that... Uh, that sounds good. Doesn't it? It's, I it wouldn't have never which... given that to my daughters. <laughs> right. They thought they had an unlimited. It sounds good to your daughter. doesn't sound good to you if it's your unlimited credit card. That's yeah, right. I got it. Well, that's the unlimited credit card approach is kind of how I describe what we as a whole have kind of been doing in healthcare in general. So it starts off with uh, we've accepted over, over time 10%, the, the least worst option when it came to renewing. So maybe we're accepting 10% increases over time. And then we're telling our employees, hey, as long as you go in network to your doctor or hospital, that's fine. And going as long as you say go in network, that should be all that you need to worry about. That's kind of the unlimited credit card approach. Think about if you had a, uh, all right, Jim, you, had sales, you have salespeople, okay? And they're going traveling all over the country. And you say, all right, guys, when you stay at a hotel, I'm going to get anything over $100, I'm covering so anything over 100 bucks, I got you. So you're responsible for 100, but I've got everything after that. Are they going to stay at the Ritz-Carlton or the Hampton Inn? You know, which one are they going to go? Uh, let me think about that. Let me think. Okay, I know which one. But that's what we're doing. It with, would not be that. That's what we're doing with healthcare. is we're saying, yeah, that's here's your deductible. that's a great way to put it, though. That's a great way to put it. So I'll cover the first 100. I mean, you cover the first 100, then i got to cover the rest of it. Cover the rest. Yeah. So as an, as an employers, we are saying your deductible is 2000 um, you're going to pay for that first part, but then we're covering everything else. So does that incentivize uh, an employee to say, I've got to get a knee replacement done? Should I go to X hospital or Y hospital or X surgeon or Y surgeon? No, it does not because I know that I've got a certain amount to spend and then after that, doesn't matter. And the trick and, the, and kind of the thing that nobody really thinks about or realizes is that that same surgery at different places can cost can a cost. wide difference. So are employers going to 
step into this realm where they can actually begin to manage where I go and you know that whole mindset? Because to me, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, you, yes, you, you hit it right there. I think that's the role that more employers are going to begin to take on with the help of consultants um, to understand you know, there is a large disparity uh, going from one place to another. And there was uh, some, you can pull numbers from, from Medicare, the Medicare site, to see different procedures and what they cost. We pulled one last week from an area in Pittsburgh, and I mentioned a knee replacement surgery. You know, a difference between $20,000 at one hospital and $103,000 at another hospital. In the same area. In the same city, and we're and talking the about same... the same procedure uh, oh, and by the way, you know, the, the one at $20,000 uh, has better patient outcomes than the hospital at $100,000. Those are the things and the information that employers have never really asked for because they didn't probably didn't know that it mattered all that much. Uh, but I think as we come through this and people are becoming more and more in tune with what healthcare costs, these are the questions and decisions that employers will be making. It's hard for me to imagine that you could literally get the same procedure done and there'd be an $80,000 difference in the cost. And I think you told me that Medicare paid more on the less yeah, expensive on that, that's procedure. That's right. On that particular one, at the $20,000 hospital, Medicare reimbursed 11000 On the $103,000 hospital, Medicare only uh, reimbursed around $7,500. So there's difference in what Medicare reimburses different hospitals. I just don't understand. I tell you, be honest with you, uh, that's a big subject. It is. That's got to be a change. That's part of this revolution to change how we deal with health care. It's the only way that really at some point that you can begin to get health care costs under control is if you know the costs of the things that you do. Uh, if you don't know what anything costs, how will you ever know how you can better affect it by your decisions? Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. And I tell you, Shannon, it's always a pleasure to have you. Great insight. I mean, I can't imagine $20,800, $103,000, same identical procedure. Very, very different. And I think that employers are going to have to look into this and have to figure out a way that they can make some changes. I appreciate you doing that. My guests have been Dane Williams and Shannon Dyson. We've, of course, had a great time talking about interesting subjects that I hope you find interesting because you've asked about them. If you have additional questions for Dane or Shannon and would like to talk with them personally, call them at 757-5757. If you would like to talk to Dr. Larry Lloyd, as I told you earlier, you can call the ministry at 901-729-2931. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. We will get them on the program and we will find ways for you to listen to the podcast. Interesting that you can do that and we will thank you for doing that. Go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial and be sure to like us on Facebook. Whether you're looking for advanced you know, subjects that are like buying a home or investing or insurance or looking for tips on how to get a good started jump start on your savings, Talk Money, that's the program. It's here to answer your questions. Next week, we get an update from the market with Rusty Leonard, and it's always great to have him on the program. And then the shortest recession in history, that's the question I'm going to ask him. Also, Michael Powell, what investing is and why is it so simple or is it? That's next week. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. 
We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer. Member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.